Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's only one word that matters in business in the early days, and that is the word survival. Whilst you're alive, throw yourself 100% into whatever you do and make the best of this wonderful life that we all lead. Hello and welcome to the Boom podcast from Virgin Media Business, the show exploring disruptive business, past, present and future with the world's most exciting entrepreneurs in conversation. I'm Nikki Beatty and in this episode we're signing up with two companies that are built on the subscription model, taking on different markets with physical products delivered regularly by post. Now, subscription as a format is not a new one, but until recent years, it's been occupied mostly by things like magazines or film clubs. Today, though, a whole host of operations have seen the opportunity in marrying convenience and curation to liven up people's post boxes. So I'm joined by two of those standout brands, and I'm pleased to welcome Oliver Bridge, the founder of Cornerstone Shaving Company. Hello to you, Oliver. Hello. And Ned Corbett-Winder, founder of Not Another Bill, the surprise gift subscription company. Hello. Hello there. So later in the show, we'll be hearing from our Voom reporter, Chris Reed. He's been checking out the latest stops on the Voom tour, but starting here in the studio, subscription is your mechanism, both of you, but you're both employing it in very different areas. So, Oliver, you're taking on beer moths like Gillette and Wilkinson Sword in the world of shaving. Ned, you're reinventing the idea of a gift shop. What drew you both to subscription specifically as a business model? Oliver, I'll come to you first. Well, in our world of shaving, we sell razors, moisturiser, shave gel, that kind of thing. The subscription model really naturally fits how people use those products. So every day you're consuming your product, the stock level in your bathroom is getting lower and lower, and eventually you need to buy it again. And if you can get that delivered regularly in the post, actually it makes life really easy not needing to shop for it the whole time. So it's a natural usage cycle, natural delivery cycle that kind of pairs up. What about you, Ned? Well, we founded Not Another Bill back in 2011, which was right kind of, I suppose, at the start of when subscription became a sexy property that it is now. Is it a sexy uh, property uh, Yeah, then? I think so. I think so. But the concept back then was that, you know, no one gets anything good in the post. People just get bills and pizza menus. So we thought, you know, let's make Letterboxes a more magical place. And the concept was that people subscribe. They tell us a little bit about themselves as a person and then each month we'd send them a surprise present in the post based on their profile i'm going to explore this in more okay. depth okay. shortly because <laughs> i know people will be listening going huh how does that work <laughs> why do you think subscription is a rich area for startups right now do either of you have an insight into that well i would say now that there's there's a lot more tools off the shelf for businesses starting a subscription to be able to you know, run all the billing side of it, all the kind of communications to do with, you know, your payments failed or, you know, your next parcel's being shipped on this date. It's it's very, very straightforward to have an out-of-the-box solution. And you can have, you know, you could probably start a subscription service in half a day. So do you think that 
this is in some way a reaction to the fact that there's too much choice out there and it's always a hassle. I mean, psychologically, what do you think you're tapping into, Oliver, with the shaving? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think Cornerstone and Not Another Bill are at the complete opposite end of the spectrum. So I think, I don't want to put words in Ned's mouth, but they're operating at the end of surprise and delight and giving you something that you hadn't even thought about buying. Mm. Cornerstone is about giving you an essential on a recurring basis and making your life much more convenient. So what we're tapping into is men, the fact that men hate shopping. So if I think about myself personally, I hate shopping. The number one thing I hate shopping for is clothes. I mean, I absolutely despise it. Number two is probably things like toiletries and cleaning products and just really boring essentials. So for us, it's about making it as convenient and intuitive as possible to get this stuff delivered to you. So I think you're absolutely right in terms of off-the-shelf tools are incredible and you mm, can set yeah. up a subscription business in hours these days. It, it's amazing, really. But for me, the really the cool thing and the reason why it's quite an interesting area is because it's interesting to the customer. So it's not a business model that's chosen by entrepreneurs who go, oh, this is so great, it's recurring revenue, all this kind of stuff. It's actually, for the consumer, really, really great in the sense that it gives them something cool and innovative that they hadn't thought of or it just makes their life so much more convenient. So it makes your customer's life more convenient. Are your products cool and innovative? Are you doing anything different in the world of shaving? Yeah, I mean, as far as you can. So I think Razors specifically is quite a funny place to look at products. So the big brands like Gillette, Gillette are probably the worst offender here. Every year or two, they'll launch a brand new product. They'll put another razor on it. They'll <laughs> put a rotating, vibrating motor inside Oh, no, it. and in the woman's market, just to tell you, every year you get a different type of moisturiser put into two strips on either side of the blade. So as you pull it up your leg, not that I have to shave my legs or anything, <laughs> but, I mean, we and we buy into that, don't and we? It's in sort of fake innovation, basically, where the customer doesn't actually get any benefit from it and it's just an excuse for them to talk about something new and charge you a higher price. So the innovation we've done is say, what are the actual fundamental things that make a razor good? find a product that does that and then we've made a really cool chrome razor handle that you get engraved with your initials free so our kind of response to that sort of fake innovation has been find an amazing product that doesn't really ever have to change and then put it on a really nice weighty well-designed handle that you want to keep forever mm. so that's i guess the coolness and innovation of what we've done on the skincare side again we've taken the same principles of what does a really good product look like so we went to the department stores and looked at all the big fancy brands like Clinique and Kiehl's and Molten Brown and that kind of stuff. And then we took all the formulations and all the, the nice things about those products and then we developed products of our own and then we matched them against the high street in terms of price. So I guess that's what we've done in terms of innovation, but I don't think it's groundbreaking in the way that the iPhone was 10 years ago or Uber. You know, We wouldn't claim to be cutting edge in that sense. But do your products look nice on bathroom shelves? Yeah, absolutely. Just, <laughs> if you look on the... Uh, I mean, it's kind of like bathroom porn when you look at the Instagram account. It's uh, it's pretty cool, like having all the colours lined up. and did Our razor looks amazing. Did you say bathroom porn? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm we actually, going for the hashtag bathroom well, porn Well, we actually now. have a joke internally where, um, obviously, we produce lots of photography for our uh, social media and for our magazine and this kind of stuff. And we kind of have a, a leaderboard of what constitutes razor porn. And it's basically the best possible angle, the best possible lighting, getting water droplets on the handle, this kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought I'd be having this so kind of I conversation. I can't wait to see that trending, you know, shortly. Well, it will be. <laughs> um, Ned, yes. explain the Not Another Bill genesis. Where did the idea come from? Um, well, I suppose the idea came from 
the fact that no one nowadays gets anything good in the post. Everything is a sort of digital world that we live in and it's emails and it's smartphones. And, you know, there is something truly nostalgic and wonderful about getting something physical in the post, even if it was a handwritten letter. And on top of that, I used to work in advertising and work with a lot of different designers and artists and makers. And so I kind of had this black book of people that I wanted to work with. And, you know, on top of that, I was a real sort of magpie of just finding stuff that I liked and think thought was cool. And so the idea that you could kind of match these two together and people could, you know, pay a monthly fee and then each month we would send them something that we thought was interesting and engaging and made their letterbox, you know, a more interesting place. So how does it work? I mean, presumably people don't do it for themselves. They do it for other people. Or do people actually uh, no, give... No, no, no. People, we, we, have a, we have a core group of people that have been doing it for the last five, six years for themselves. Really? Um, yeah, yeah they're, they're part of our kind of... You know, our backbone, really, of the company. I, mean, um, I, I, I support it wholeheartedly. Yeah, yeah. And I wish that I could do something like that. I feel guilty when I do <laughs> things for myself. I'd rather be a giver. Yeah. So but how the, does it work, then? Well, for, the, for those people who do buy it for themselves, a lot of people, we kind of do, do research into this, use it as a gifting tool themselves. So they will, you know, they'll fill their present cupboard, you know, they'll get a different gift each month. Some of them might be completely relevant for them and they absolutely love them. Others, they might gift on to their, you know, relevant family members or when they need to give a gift. So they kind of use us as a platform of just receiving new things. And because the way that we work with different designers and with, with different artists, we essentially, a customer, what they're paying, they get a gift that's worth a lot more than that because the way we work with the brands, we offer a sort of marketing and exposure platform in exchange for getting them gifts. So what? how does it work? Do I say, I'd like to spend £200 over six months is, is it tailor-made for me or are there packages that work? There are different different tiers, essentially. So you could sign up for one month, three months, six months or, or a year and you can either buy those in, in a bulk package or you can pay monthly as a direct debit, like most subscriptions operate. We've now made it so customers can pick and choose exactly what gifts they want to receive each month. So the surprise element that we founded right in the beginning you know, was great as a story, but we found that people kind of wanted a bit more choice, choice. and yeah. you know you know that if you're gift, giving a gift to your sister or someone you you kind of know them better than we do mm. although we might be able to source the cool products that you wouldn't be able to do we still understand that people want that level of control and so we've made it completely flexible now and oliver coming back to you deciding that subscription shaving products was the way to go at at a high end I mean, you were, as I mentioned, facing these great big guns in that market. Gillette, Wilkinson, Sword, I mentioned already. Where did you get that tenacity from? How were you convinced that this was going to work? I mean, at the beginning, it was a mad leap of faith, I think, jumping off. I guess a lot of the drive came from my own bad experience as a user of shaving products. So I've always had relatively sensitive skin. I've tried pretty much every razor, every shave gel going and just had never found something that worked for me despite all of those various products out there. And so for me as a, as a consumer, it felt like there was still a massive gap to fill. So I guess that's what drove me to think, well, actually, yes, there's all this competition. There's these billion pound businesses that have been around for 50 years, but actually there is still an opportunity to kind of disrupt it with good quality products. And then on top of that, as I said earlier, personally, absolutely hate shopping for stuff. And I felt that there was a, a niche in that convenience bit as well. So... I think it was just having conviction that the proposition was genuinely useful for customers. And then I think then the, the interesting story and the challenge really is taking that conviction and turning it into a business that actually makes sense. It's easy to sit in your living room at home and have conviction. <laughs> the idea is, you know, an exciting one, but how do you get it? For, you know, we're now just shy of 160,000 subscribers in the UK. Taking it from that, like, yeah, this is a really cool idea to doing that is that is the, the difficult bit, I think. So how did you, Ned 
get your first subscription? How did you even go about trying to lure people? Yeah, I mean, so at the time I was working in my advertising job and essentially the concept was that, you know, you sign up to our service, you pay a fee and we'll send you something we think is cool. So mm. it's, it's a total gamble. You know, I didn't know if we were going to have one person or, you know, I didn't even know if it was going to work. Yeah. But, but the, the idea to me worked. And um, so we went about, well, I say we, it was me at the time, um, building a site that had just nice pictures of products and things that, you know, the business was going to get to. But at the time it was, we didn't have any products. So it was kind of building a, a mood board with a very simple PayPal, you know, buy now button. And that was the first of it. And I remember sitting in a meeting and suddenly my phone beeped and it, it there was an order there. Can and, you remember what it was? Uh, yeah, it was, well, it was for a three month subscription. It was 69 quid and I, I couldn't believe it. And at that point in the meeting, I was in a a kind of yeah recording studio or something like like a bit like <laughs> <Yeah>. this <laughs> and you just sort of like wow it's you know that's the first order and I will always remember that first one and then from then because the story was quite a novel idea that you know you it's get the a surprise, surprise present yes. post so press were very very willing to write about it and blogs and and it just it just snowballed from there and beyond that social media has been very key to it um in more recent years it's sort of facebook and instagram are probably our main acquisition mm. channels um although it kind of always feels slightly like you're you know everyone is just paying the same amount and it's going to just going to get more and more expensive so i think brands need to look at different engaging and interesting channels to you know reach their audience well, can, can you think of how, what those channels would be you know people are aware that they're being sold to the whole time through social media and you know every time you're scrolling up there's another sponsored post and I think people are just bored with it. So I think you need to capture people when they're not expecting it or it's got to enhance their life or enhance the way that they see your brand. Right. Oliver, what about you? The beginnings. Well, I remember quitting my job, putting a post on Facebook saying, I've just cancelled my job, cancelled my career, <laughs> please sign up. Um, what was your career before? People need to know. So I had two jobs out of university. First job was uh, I worked for an innovation consultancy, which was really interesting, actually. And we worked with these big companies like Sillit Bang and Lemsip and Durex, helping them come up with new product ideas. So Durex was quite an interesting one. And then my second job, I worked for a venture capital fund, helping them find and invest in technology companies. So I've got a really interesting, weird background of sort of tech, finance and product and research mm. and whatever. So good for Cornerstone. So I kind of quit my job and said, oh, please, please give this thing a go. And my friend Jake signed up within one minute. So whenever I download our customer list, he's always number one, <laughs> as I can tell you. Um, so you just, you went personally through Facebook? Yes, just right at the beginning. And right. then the first sort of six months of Cornerstone's life was basically me at my kitchen table just trying to make this thing work so that I didn't have to humiliatingly go back to my old job. And I basically tried everything. So I was going door to door trying to sell boxes in North London. I was trying to blag blog posts. I was handing out leaflets at the tube stations. I taught myself how to do Twitter, Facebook and Google advertising. And it kind of worked, but not really. And what made it kind of take off for us was we did a sort of semi-viral campaign on Reddit where we wrote quite a witty blog post about why Cornerstone was different. And we promoted it with, with an advert with the face of Sean Connery. Uh, on the front anyway that we got about a thousand sign-ups in a week for about five pounds each or something right. and that was it after that we were off basically and wow. then the way that the advertising platforms work these days we took those a thousand email addresses we put them into facebook and said please can you find more people that look like these people and then the ball was rolling so yeah that the first thousand customers is just the absolute hardest and i think if i look back on the journey of cornerstone you know day one after i'd resigned through to probably getting to a thousand customers was just absolutely hell <laughs> really difficult. So what tips would you offer to other people in terms of getting those first subscribers? 
I think in my experience, it's just about being very, very persistent and leaving absolutely no stone unturned. And I was kind of, I think as an entrepreneur, you're constantly oscillating between really excited and genuinely completely believe in what you're doing. And then mm. some days you just think, God, this is a disaster. And and as you get along further along the curve, the ratios change. So now maybe my whole disaster mentality is maybe only 5% of the time, whereas in the early days it was probably the other way around. And is that just about changing your positive mental attitude or is it because things have got better? I think a um, bit of both. And I think also the kind of people that choose to become entrepreneurs are just slightly neurotic and have these just up and down emotions. It's just part of life. So I think for me, when at the beginning when I was very anxious about the whole thing I wanted to know that if I did have to go back to investing or consulting or whatever job I might have to go back to that I'd left absolutely nothing on the table no one could have said you didn't try hard enough so I think that's my advice is just leave absolutely nothing uh, unaccounted for um, are you neurotic then? Do you fit that categorisation? I, I do Ned? and I get in trouble for my wife a Oh lot. do you? <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to The Boom Podcast from Virgin Media Business, the ultra-fast fibre broadband company. And I just wanted to take a minute to remind you that Boom is on tour. Our special reporter, Chris Reed has been out on the road meeting all the businesses taking part. So let's catch up with him for the latest. Hi, Nikki. Well, since our last episode and brunch with Richard Branson, the Voom Tour has carried on its journey across the UK, meeting entrepreneurs from all areas, holding workshops, advice sessions, and of course, our famous pitching competition. This week, we're up in Glasgow before heading to Dundee in the second part of our Scotland leg next week. But a couple of weeks ago, we were at the opposite end of the British Isles in Winchester, where I came across a really interesting subscription company I thought was particularly fitting for today's episode. Now, although Winchester is a relatively small city in Hampshire, it was one of the most exciting pitch competitions that we had. And that's partly because we had record numbers of people signing up to pitch. The competition was fierce. Everyone was really good, but one company in particular shone through. So I've just won Boom for Winchester and I literally can't believe it. I had such a stressful day and I didn't expect it. The pitches were amazing. And when they announced my name, I just like, started crying and getting overexcited. But yeah, it was amazing. Emotions often run high when it comes to pitching, particularly because trying to communicate your business idea on stage in two minutes with an audience watching can be a really daunting task, even though we try and make it as easy as possible for the pitchers to tell their story. But get your pitch right and it could open all sorts of doors. We've heard some amazing stories of how previous pitchers have gone on to greater things since coming onto the Voom bus. So next up, I want to introduce you to the winner of our Winchester round and play you the pitch that earned £5,000 prize and the opportunity to meet Richard Branson. But first, let's find out a little bit more about our entrepreneur in question. Here's Tamsin Gordon. My name's Tamsin and I'm the founder of Glitzbox and Glitzbox is the UK's first jewellery rental subscription service. Quite a few months ago, I went to the XL in London, which was like a business show, and it was quite um, an intimidating show. There was a lot of men in suits and kind of daunting displays. And then I saw the Voom truck, which was all colorful and happy, and everyone seemed really friendly. So I just went in and they were offering free advice. So I got some advice on PR, I got some advice on crowdfunding. And then someone there mentioned about the Voom tour that I just missed in London and said it would, might be a good idea to apply. So I saw there was one in Winchester, which wasn't too far from London. So I applied. When I heard I made it through, it was the same day as a conference and a photo shoot that I had planned. So kind of was late arriving and was stressing and thinking, oh, is it worth going? But obviously it has been worth it. So I'm really glad. That, and I think that's the thing to learn is it all seems like a lot when you're doing a business and everything seems to be pulling you in different directions. But then slowly things go really well and that's why it's worth it. <laughs> so even winners can feel intimidated about pitching, but we're so glad that Tamsin took part. She did brilliantly. 
Let's hear that winning pitch. Thank you very much, judges, if you're ready. Then, uh, Tamsin, I'll ask you to kick off. Your two minutes starts now. So Glitzbox is the UK's first jewellery rental subscription service. Not only that, we're trying to revolutionise the way people buy and discover jewellery. So if you think of Netflix, but for jewellery. I came up with the concept whilst working on the high street within the jewellery department, where I saw two key problems. One was that emerging designers found it really hard to stand out online. And the second was that consumers were overwhelmed with the amount of options and were unlikely to buy from independent designers that they'd never seen before and that they hadn't been able to try on the jewellery. I then looked at some other industries, such as the beauty industry, where the subscription model had really boomed in the last few years. I also looked at some brands like Airbnb, Uber and Netflix, which allow customers to trial products and services for a limited amount of time and for a fraction of the price. The UK jewellery market is worth a whopping £4.2 billion, and I decided to disrupt it. Um, I did that by creating a platform which bridges the gap between buying online and offline for jewellery. The way it works is for £39, you subscribe on the website, fill out a style quiz telling us if you like gold, silver, if you've got your ears pierced. Um, we then curate a box like this with three pieces of jewellery from different independent designers. You can wear it throughout the month. If there's something you love, you can buy it for a discounted price. And if not, you can send it all back with our prepaid return slips. The aim is to make people buy less, but buy better. Um, and I'm a big believer in the fact that the wardrobe of the future will mean that we just have a few key items, basics in our closet, and we'll be able to pull on clothing and accessories from services like Glitzbox. I'm the solo founder, and um, I've been bootstrapping the business in the last six months since launching. Um, I still work 35-hour week freelance, so this prize would allow me to take a few months to fully focus on the business and hopefully scale it up to be self-sustainable. Thanks for listening. Let me know if you have any questions. So I think there was three things about Tamsin's subscription box that uh, the judges really liked. The first one was that it was fulfilling a need. Uh, she'd already created a market there and people were already subscribing. The second one is that she was also introducing new designers' products to an audience who they wouldn't have previously met. It was a, you know, it's almost like a sharing idea. But the third thing was, is that she was growing a market because as well as, if you like, borrowing this uh, bespoke jewellery, if you wanted to buy it, you could do. So it was a win-win-win situation for everyone involved. A fantastic idea, uh, and Tamsin clearly has got a load of experience in this space, which she's going to bring to bear on what's bound to be a very successful product. So, you know, massive congratulations to Tamsin. We'd love to know what you think about her pitch. Indeed, if you think you could pitch better, then do let us know. Tweet at Virgin Media Business and use the hashtag Voom, uh, and we'll pick it up from there. So, Nikki, that's it from the Voom Tour this week. Back to you. Thank you to our Voom reporter, Chris Reed there. And if you'd like to be involved with our future Voom tour dates or sign up to pitch, just search Voom tour to find out more. The next stop is Dundee on the 9th of November. Back in the studio now with Oliver Bridge and Ned Corbett-Winder talking about subscription businesses. So talking about the products themselves, Oliver, razor blades... That must be a technical area to get into and require some quite specific manufacturing. Absolutely, yeah. And we're pretty honest about our capabilities as a business with that. So we do not manufacture the razors ourselves. We have found a supply partner that is an absolute world expert in doing so. 
and the technology they've got is basically on par with all the branded stuff you'd get in the in the supermarkets and the story behind the razors that we sell is absolutely incredible so you know the steel they use comes from japan the company that supplies the steel initially started out doing samurai swords Oh, God, I'm buying this already. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, right? Um, and then when the, the steel comes into the factory on these long reels, they then pass it through a, a heat box, a flame box, that basically softens the metal. And then they put it through an ice box, like a freezer, basically, and then it locks the atoms down into a really hard format. Then they grind it under an le- uh, oh like electron this is, telescope. This is, this is steel porn, isn't it? it? No, this is steel porn. This is amazing. So I guess uh, I, I could go on and on about it. And, you know, no, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, it's fine. But I mean, the, the, the process is all sort of electron microscopes and lasers and really sharp edges, and it's incredible, really. And what it means is that as a, we're a small business, there's 35 of us based in London. We've got, yes, lots of customers, but we are a relatively small business ourselves. But despite only being three years old and quite small, we get to work with probably one of the best manufacturers in the world in our space. So we can bring, you know, Gillette equivalent products to our customer base for a lower price, more convenient, etc. And it's the same with all the skincare stuff. You know, we've partnered with some of the best chemists and dermatologists that there are out there. And yeah, it's amazing. As a small business, we can tap into that bigger ecosystem of amazing people. Ned, what yes. would be your one key tip for managing fulfilment? I mean, have you had any big learnings and had to shape the way you manage things like that? Yes. Fulfilment is one of our biggest headaches because we have so many variables between our subscribers managing their profile, opting for different gifts each month. I mean, with razors, it's, uh, I mean, you will have different variants, but it's kind of the same product every month whereas we are trying to source and everything needs to fit in its right place mm. have to have the right packaging for each different new product that we're creating or working with different designers on so fulfillment and logistics are a real headache that often don't get sorted straight away so i mean what, what's been your biggest learning curve um i think find a good fulfillment house who you trust and can lean on if you're in trouble that would probably be my first one. And how do you find a good fulfilment <laughs> house? How does that work? You're both laughing. <laughs> well, they're kind of like good secrets, aren't they? Ah, <laughs> come on, this is a helpful podcast here. It's the crown jewels. Yeah. The crown jewels. <laughs> <laughs> when you started the businesses then, did you both do that yourselves? Yeah, absolutely. And we, we still in-house do a lot of the more bespoke work because you know if you're monogramming wallets or, or luggage tags, you know that has to still be done by hand. So. You've got a luggage tag that says, twat <laughs> you've got profanity tags yeah we do we is that do. your idea yeah they, <laughs> no we were at a show and somebody asked for one and then another person asked for one because they saw it being done and mm. it snowballed from there so now but so you'd still do a lot of this stuff in yeah house. i mean the bespoke stuff it's it you know someone has to do it by hand and we care so much about the how the product looks and outsourcing it to someone who you don't get to creatively oversee is, is a risk for a company that stands on aesthetics and good looking products what about you, Oliver? So really the other way around. And actually, my, the first business I started when I was back in school was a website called biggerfeet.com that sold big shoes over the web. Insp- yeah, inspired by my massive size 13 feet. Oh, yeah, they, really? they, they look rather neat. Thank you very much. You've obviously chosen your shoes. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that business, basically, I ran it when I was at school and I would do advertising on paid search, whatever, get loads of orders in, and then I'd have to pack them in the evenings in my loft when I, when I got home from school. And I'd be competing between homework and packing shoes <laughs> and it was it was great fun but it taught me the lesson that you can't basically run the business and grow it if you're doing stuff like yeah. putting shoes in boxes it just doesn't make sense so from day one at cornerstone i was 
pretty convinced that I wanted to spend time creating a nice brand, creating great products, all that kind of stuff, great customer service, and that putting a tube of shave cream in a cardboard box probably wasn't something I was the best in the world at. So we thought, why don't we find someone who can help us do it? We've been through a couple of partners, but we found people who are able to replicate really high quality packaging and care every time and ship thousands of boxes a week. How do you, Ned, upsell in the subscription world? I think it's about the products you offer them. So for, for that for that tranche of people who buy it for themselves, who've been with us for, you know, four plus years. I, I want to know who these people yeah, are. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, <laughs> so people like that, we will create a special gift for them that's worth, a lot, you know, maybe 60, 70 pound gift and email it to them and say, look, you know, this is new, exclusive just for you. Add it to your profile for next month and you'll get this. It's kind of rewarding them in more product related right. ways. Oliver, what about you? So for Cornerstone members, actually, there's a really nice incentive to stay with us. So particularly over the, over the coming months, we're evolving our model from just selling shaving products into selling you everything you need for the bathroom. So lots and lots of our members got in touch and said, I love the razor. I love the fact I don't need to shop for it. But I've still got to go and buy my shampoo. I've mm. still got to go and buy my toothpaste. So, so we thought, well, OK, we're clearly missing something here. So over the last of six months, we've been working our socks off behind the scenes, developing with the same suppliers you've kind of been talking about, products and all these different verticals. So for next year, we're going to have our own range of vitamins, toothbrushes, toothpaste, hair wax, shampoo, deodorant, all that kind of stuff. And the way we're going to launch it is say to our existing members, you know, thank you for backing us. Pick a product that you'd like to try for free in your next box. Right. Uh, and we'll be that's how we'll be rolling out this new kind of proposition. So will you have your own brand of vitamins or are you... Really? That's right. So in the same process we've taken for finding our razor supplier and the skincare supplier... We've basically gone, quite literally been on planes flying around the world, meeting different manufacturers. We found... Who are you going with? So I can't say the name of the supplier on air, but the, the people we've chosen for the vitamins you know, make some of the most famous vitamin brands that you will see in Do boots. they make Solgar? I don't even know what that is. No, no, no. no. I oh. thought you were going to say Halibut Orange. Please, <laughs> Ned, credit me with a bit of nutritional information knowledge. Um. What's preventing the incumbent brands in your space, for example, creating their own subscription offshoots and posing a threat? So, Ned, people like Liberty or John Lewis or even Paper Chase, if it's for little gifts. Yeah, I think you know we touched on it earlier about the fact that there's either necessity-based subscriptions where you're 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 solving an issue, mm. or and there's you know we're trying to look at gifting and doing it differently and in a more interesting way, and. By that nature, it still needs to be personal. And I think it's very hard, you know, for a Liberty or for a John Lewis to create a subscription service because, you know, they've got to pull in so many different brands. They've All those brands have got to sign off on a, you know, yes, we'll, we will, you know, give you our product at a slightly cheaper price and send it out. It's, I mean, there are... Because it's all about curating. It is curation, yeah. I mean, there are, there are you know, stationary subscription companies. If you think about, like, socks, you know, there's thousands of those. I think subscription is, within one vertical, it's much easier to do. When you're mm. crossing lots like we are it's it's a bit of a minefield and oliver i think what's made us successful is the fact that we're very very close to the customer mm. so we have a team of 10 english literature graduates who are our customer service team and why are they english literature so graduates? we specifically choose english literature graduates because they are so emotionally intelligent about how customers are feeling um so rather than ship it off to india or philippines we have literally graduates sat next to me in the office who an email comes through and they are able to interpret whether it's someone being sarcastic or genuinely angry and respond to them and fix the problem for them. So we have these, these 10 wonderful people sat there and they have all these ideas that they fire at the tech team, fire at the marketing team. And we're 
we are literally meters away from the team that are interacting with the customer. And I think if you look at the impact that's had on our business and the changes we've made to the products, to the model, to the marketing, to the customer service, it's just phenomenal. And when you look at businesses like Gillette and all these big companies, you know, you see in supermarkets, they're just these massive organizations with tens of thousands of employees and they're just not able to to be close enough to the customer, basically. And I think for me, subscriptions about creating something that customers love and want to buy again and again and again. Mm. And if you can't get close enough, it doesn't work and the big companies are just too big. Um, new bits of tech happening. So Amazon Dash, those buttons. Yeah. Are they a threat to subscription, do you think? Again, not probably for us because it's about the curation of mm. the products that you're then going to get sent. I think Amazon are a fantastic company and can provide this service, but it won't affect us, no. Yeah, I mean, if we think about where Cornerstone's going, we're going to have let's say 12 products in, in, by January. To replicate our service with the Amazon dash buttons, you'd need 11 dash buttons lying around your bathroom. So your bathroom would look like a sort of space shuttle control <laughs> control panel or something. <laughs> and if you if you think about in the kitchen, you know, how many products you use every day, you know, milk, tea bag, sugar, coffee, ketchup, mustard, you know, you're going to have a button for every one of those? I don't think so. So I think for me, that feels a bit ridiculous and it's a bit of a PR stunt. Ah, um, Okay. For the, what we're doing, we're, you know, in the short term, building an app that basically takes all of your toiletries into one place. It probably lives on page two or maybe page three of your iPhone. You know, realistically, toiletries are not important enough mm. to be on page one. But then you open, maybe for women. Yeah, I, I just put my finger up in the studio. And went, yes, they are. <laughs> for any company looking to the future and thinking about securing the future growth, what do you think are the most important considerations, Ned? Well, for for us as a company, we're about products and we're about gifts. And so the natural progression for us is to create our own, well, yeah, to create our own line of gifts, which is secretly what we've been doing over the last year. Mm. Um, not so secret now. Not so secret, no. <laughs> um, but we're kind of incredibly pleased that this Christmas we're going into Liberty's, Selfridges. What, what's going into these stores? Uh, well, essentially our, our new gift collection, which is quite a, a broad range. There's about 62 different products in that, uh, which covers, covers leatherwares, stationery, homewares products um, and then essentially gift sets are our main product which is a sort of pre, pre-built pre box which has got there's a sort of gin one and a I saw the one, gin one tequila one um, with like rose pink sort of metal cups and things yes, like that yeah so we it's it's kind of looking at the right price point of you know who gives a gift how much they want to spend and then We've taken the learnings from subscription. We've we've listened to our customers, mm. what colours they like, what styles they like, what materials, patterns, everything. And we've put that together and designed a collection that is based on research. And, you know, for, for a store, that's an interesting story because we've already kind of road tested the products. Oliver, what about you? Company looking to the future, wanting to secure future growth? Yeah, I mean, as a subscription business, the fundamental thing is you need to keep your subscribers happy because if you're existing customer base is kind of tailing off and falling away then you're kind of running to stand still in a sense so for us it's really about um keeping our customers super super happy so listening to what products they want making sure the products are only the best quality before we release them making sure the customer service and the website is amazing so for me growth an absolute prerequisite is having extremely solid foundations in the subscription world so we're kind of pretty obsessed by that but growth, I guess, beyond that is about building a brand and building something that people want to talk about and share with friends and family. So for us, it's about making sure that we come up with really interesting marketing ideas that get people talking as well as having an amazing service. So what's getting people talking about now? Like if I was about to say, oh, I've just interviewed this guy and it's the company's Cornerstone and they say, well, I've never seen it anywhere, never heard of it. Where, where, where would people be seeing 
what you're doing? Well, we've just launched a big marketing campaign actually across uh, the buses and the underground in London. Well, then people should see yeah, it. They should they? see that. <laughs> um, and uh, I'd like to think that the, the adverts we've put on the tube are quite witty. They're sort of in the same style as the Jack Daniels ones, a very long yes. form, telling a bit of a story about us. Also, this is quite exciting for a company of our size. We've just launched a big TV campaign. Oh, has it actually hit the TVs? It has, yeah, it has. So it actually premiered. Our first advert was during halftime, um, Real Madrid versus Spurs two weeks ago, which was uh, amazing to see that kind of go live. How much did you have to pay for that? Uh, it wasn't cheap. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say that much. Um, wow. It would probably make your eyes water. But it's great. You know, we were mi- literally millions of, of people who shaved saw that advert. So it was amazing. So That's so clever. Um, did you yeah. see a direct response from that? Yeah, we're pretty data driven. So there's some clever software on the site that shows the visitors per minute. Yeah. And you can see a massive spike, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people clicking to the website after the advert showed. And did you run a promo for, for that ad? Yeah, there's an sort of introductory offer for new customers. Um, but I think this is back to the point about building a brand. Mm. There's a real trade-off between really aggressive yeah, offers yeah. and discounting, which drives lots of traffic and customers. But in the long term, you know, you can't build growth, sustainable growth, by doing discounts and offers the whole time. It's mm. got to be about really good quality, really nice visuals, really nice marketing. So, what's the biggest marketing stunt that you've pulled? Um, well, back in the day when Royal Mail were putting their um, prices up, we we trained some racing pigeons to deliver our parcels. <laughs> that is so brilliant. Um, it was it, we we did actually do it, but it, the pigeons didn't <laughs> did technically it? fly. But it it, it it happened. It happened. Um, but in, in, I suppose, last Christmas, we did a big direct marketing door drop with a, with our gift catalogue. And that went in kind of the evening standard and mm-hmm. the week. It's in a big run of that. Um, but I think actually the learnings on that was you kind of need it to be, be big and shouty to really take get an uptake. But you don't want to sacrifice on the quality of the, the publication and the brand. So it's that fine balance. Fine balance. And I don't think we pushed it far enough. It could have been, it could have sold better, to be honest. Right. And that's an interesting learning, actually, for subscription and I guess just startups in general is that it's very tempting to default to that sort of offering people money off the whole time yeah. and there are some brands you know some restaurant chains where as a consumer i feel like i'd be a mug to eat there if i didn't have a discount yeah there's a certain pizza, pizza chain that, yeah, <laughs> that jumps to mind and there, is, and there are subscription businesses where you know when you cancel they email you straight away going oh you come back you get a free box yeah and it just encourages this terrible behavior from mm. customers where mm. you cancel get a freebie cancel get a freebie and that's yeah. no way to build a sustainable business That's almost it for the podcast today, but I wanted to finish by asking you two questions. The first one, what are you most proud of in terms of your businesses? Ollie, to you first. Can I call you Wally? You can. Seeing as it is the end of the podcast. You can. I think it's the the team we've built. And it's funny, so whenever you go to business awards ceremonies and that kind of stuff, and when people do speeches, they always say, oh, you know, thanks to the team, it wouldn't have been possible. And in the past, I used to roll my eyes and be like, yeah, you know, fake modesty, blah, blah. But genuinely, having now got to a stage where there's nearly 35 of us, it is all down to the people around you. Because even as a high energy, dynamic, charismatic entrepreneur or whatever, there's only so much you can do in 18 hours a day. You know, you need to sleep. So you need to build an amazing team of people around you who are super dedicated, super smart. And in the moments of reflection, when I kind of just think about all the hard work that goes on back HQ and I'm not there, it is pretty humbling to think that all these people are kind of helping you build something cool. So I think... That is genuinely, having assembled a group of amazing people is probably one of the things I'm most proud of. I've got to say, I've got to totally agree with that. I think the team and the investors, it's, you know, it's we're all in this together and everyone wants it to go in the right direction. And so 
that is a huge... And you are. That's the thing you're most proud of. Uh, that and our new gift collection being stocked in those kind of stores for this year. Well, and congratulations yeah, on that. thank you. If you weren't doing what you're doing now, what other business <laughs> do you think... Or what other business do you wish you started? Oh. Yeah, that's a good question, isn't it? It is. So I think that there's two... You know, one day when maybe I'm not doing Cornerstone anymore, maybe 5, 10, 20 years in the future... And Already this... jumping to yeah. Well, no, not at all. I actually, you know, can't genuinely not think of anything else at the moment. But I think the two routes I could go down are two different uh, forks. One is doing something very crafty and artisan-y, potentially in, in the vein of what Ned's doing, actually. Something that you wake up every morning and just you're so just fascinated with the physical nature of it. And, you know, maybe you can develop a community of, you know, a couple of hundred or a couple of thousand people that are willing to somehow pay you for that work you love mm. so i love just tinkering with things around the house i wonder if i could somehow turn that into a business or the other thing is um what cornerstone has done is taken what is a relatively boring product category and made it interesting and to me there's loads of product categories out there that customers are getting a raw deal so things like double glazing or funeral organizing funerals is an absolute nightmare or things like products and categories where you just think this is a really weird, boring, grubby sector. Yeah. And actually, if someone comes along and goes, no, this isn't good enough, we're going to transform this and make it amazing for customers. So I'm split between sort of having a little workshop in my back garden and making kind of leather goods and selling it versus trying to take on some really grubby, massive the industry. The death market. Exactly, death tech. <laughs> what, a, what a fascinating <laughs> insight. Uh, Ned, what about you? Um I think it's a hard one. I mean, my, my background is in art and creative advertising and marketing in that respect. And then product has always been, you know, such a passion of mine. So I feel that it would have to be something within that realm. If I used to make T-shirts and hats and stuff like that when I was, well, in the olden days. What, um, kind, what kind of T-shirts? Oh, that? just, it was kind of, uh, I suppose, sort of with stencils and sort of slogan type T-shirts, but not, not what it sort of sounds like that. Um, More like what Kanye would do to an old Sade concert T-shirt. Absolutely, that kind, that of, kind thing. of thing. Yeah, gotcha. and if it wasn't a windsurf instructor, a windsurf instructor. Yeah, I'd love to. Or oh, just a windsurfer, but okay. you know, you'd have to try and make a living. So, <laughs> add the instructor bit. I love it. Thank you both so much for being part of the Boom podcast today. Oliver Bridge from Cornerstone and Ned Corbett Winder from Not Another Bill. Thank you both so very much. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. Thank you again to my guests Oliver Bridge from Cornerstone and Ned Corbett Winder from Not Another Bill and to our Voom reporter Chris Reed. Remember, Voom is currently on tour and to find out more about the upcoming dates or to sign up to pitch, you just need to head to virginmediabusiness.co.uk slash voom. And there you can also find out about Voom Fibre, the new business broadband network that's over four times faster than any other national providers. The Voom Podcast is a Pixie production for Virgin Media Business and we'll be back with more entrepreneurial tales in two weeks' time. Until then, from me, Nikki Bady, goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.